This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Five years ago, the higher education system was in the limelight of all media platforms due to a nationwide student protest called the Fees Must Fall movement. Fast forward to the present, and education has again been gravely impacted as a result of the coronavirus, changing life as we know it. But how did we get here? On the 31st of December 2019, the World Health Organization reported a number of pneumonia cases in Wuhan City in China. This would later be known as the coronavirus. Since then, it spread to more than 100 countries across the globe, including South Africa. For someone who doesn't know how everything panned out and how a virus that started in China ended up all the way in South Africa, here's how it all went down. Hello. My name is Nogokanyam Dambo. Welcome to the first episode of a five-part podcast, Surviving the 2020 Academic Year, produced by Voice of Vits. Today's episode is titled, How We Got Here. On the 5th of March, Health Minister William Kieser announced the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in South Africa. It was a man who was one of 10 people who had just arrived back to South Africa from a trip in Italy. By the 15th of March, President Sol Ramaphosa announced a national state of disaster. He would then later on the 23rd of March announce a national lockdown that would begin on the 26th of the same month in order to slow down the spread of the virus and strengthen the health system. This meant everything would come to a standstill. Our analysis of the progress of the epidemic informs us that we need to urgently and dramatically escalate our response. Without decisive action, the number of people infected will rapidly increase. This is extremely dangerous for a population like ours, which has a large number of people with suppressed immunity because of HIV and TB, and high levels of poverty and malnutrition. As a consequence, the national Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday, the 26th of March. This is a decisive measure to save lives of South Africans from infection and save the lives of hundreds of thousands of our people. While this measure will have a considerable impact on people's livelihoods. The human cost of delaying this action would be far, far greater. The nationwide lockdown will be enacted in terms of the Disaster Management Act. From midnight on Thursday, 26th March, until midnight Thursday, the 16th of April, all South Africans will have to stay at home. We will be spending money to save lives and to support the economy, to assist small businesses and their employees affected by the coronavirus pandemic. The action we are taking now 
will have lasting economic costs. But we are convinced that the cost of not acting now will be far much greater. We will prioritize the lives and the livelihoods of our people above all else and will use all of the measures that are within our power to protect our people from the economic consequences of this pandemic. Let us never despair despite the challenges that our country is facing now. For we are a nation of one and we are surely going to prevail. May God protect our people. I thank you. No movement of people was allowed except to get essential services and medication. All the other non-essential businesses closed their doors. Schools also closed their doors earlier than usual, ending the first term on the 17th of March. Higher Education, Science and Technology Minister Bladen Zamande said, we'd need to save the academic year at all cost. On the 2020 academic year, guided by the work and decisions of the National Command Council, we've decided not to resume with campus-based academic activity throughout the post-school education and training sector, including all universities and TVET colleges. The risks of a return to normal campus-based activity for thousands of students and staff are simply too great and cannot function successfully outside of the national context of a general lockdown. Universities and TVET colleges do not operate in a vacuum, but in a historically specific context. Against this background, and with the endorsement by the Command Council, we have decided that the current period from the 1st of May until South Africa transitions or moves into the lower levels of the COVID management strategy. We will use this period to put a number of critical interventions in place, which will include digital and physical delivery of learning material to provide a reasonable level of academic support to all our students at all institutions to resume academic learning and teaching support. As we are in an unprecedented emergency, we have to use all available tools to reach our students fully cognizant that it will not substitute the need for contact learning when conditions permit. We will also be working to ensure that students are provided with instructional materials. We will also be working to finalize the procurement and distribution of devices laptops in the main for all NESFAS assisted students both in the universities and TVET colleges as well as the necessary connectivity into digital remote learning platforms. We are also going to use this time to strengthen our remote pedagogic teaching and learning models and sharing this across the TVET and university systems. Our intention as a sector is to use this phase for planning and preparation at all our universities and TVET colleges and the mobilization of resources. Our collective efforts during this period remains that of putting appropriate remote learning support systems in place 
for all our institutions using whatever means available whilst preparing our institutional capacities. We will also be providing mental health support and other forms of support necessary for staff and students throughout. NESFA's funding for all students will continue while the academic year is underway. Radio and TV broadcasts have already begun in key subjects and are in the process of being expanded and will continue for six months. The use of textbooks, e-guides, past question papers and uploaded YouTube videos are strongly advocated and supported through bulk SMSs from colleges and WhatsApp groups set up by lecturers. All these broadcasts and additional resources are available on the Department of Higher Education and Training website for ready and continuous access by students. It's been more than 200 days since that announcement, and definitely more by the time you listen to this podcast. In this episode, we'll explore the challenges faced by many students in rural and urban areas, as well as lecturers in using the online learning system, studying from home, and whether online learning compromises the integrity of learning, especially for the academic programs that were set for contact learning. This is Balamino Jama, a student leader with the South African Union of Students. The organization represents students at institutions of higher learning, including FET colleges in South Africa. Jama, who also sits on the ministerial COVID-19 task team for higher education, says not all universities can run the online learning system. COVID-19, I don't think we've ever had anything like this before, so it's very difficult to say what would have worked best. But one thing I can say confidently is that online learning was never the solution. It was never going to cater to the majority of our people in the sector. In a country where less than 20% of its students graduate within record time, you know, we don't have a very good throughput rate um, in this country. So ordinarily, students struggle with learning. And it means it's, it's not just a gadget issue. There's a, there's a systematic issue and students really just struggling with their work. So I, I think it's deeper than just trying to get the work done and saying, okay, tick, we did year 2020 as an academic year. And I really think the department had the responsibility to protect the investment. And I don't think there's been a lot of thought behind the decision that we're making as a task team firstly, but also generally as a student movement too, and three as institutions. You've heard from Palamino Jama. There's no doubt students from rural areas and poor backgrounds have been adversely affected by the switch from contact classes to an online system that relies heavily on resources such as tablets, laptops, and data. As a music student, I need facilities uh, I I need some equipment. For example, I need a studio. I need a piano. I'm a Western classical music student, so I need a piano, uh, which I don't have here at home. The institution gave me like two, 20 gigabytes of data, of telco mobile data. And here in Newcastle, in order for, for, for the data to work, it has to have a 3G and a 4G network coverage. Uh, but in this case, it's not working because here in Newcastle, only it's like H+. And then there and there, gubano 3G, gubano 4G, lapo na lapo. So it data is generally useless. So it, it's, it, it just becomes useless. It doesn't work. So yeah, that, those are the challenges that I'm currently facing. Um, 
yeah it's 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 too much at times it's pressurizing a, a lot and secondly i prefer listening to a lecturer than receiving notes all the time I, i'm not a, i'm not a fan of reading all the time but yeah it is what it is as a first year student at the University of Limpopo, COVID-19 has affected my studies. I've been suspended for a moment in my education and being left for self-education, of which I find difficult to maintain. Although we have transitioned to online learning, it is still difficult given connectivity issues. I could say yes, the institution is giving us support, but it is still not enough. We are being given data every month. It doesn't make sense that 10 gig is for any time, while 20 gig is for night hour. There are distributions of laptops as well, and they are taking forever. It is so frustrating because we do not know what's going to happen with our academic year. We are attending and sometimes the connectivity of the lecture or hours is paid, resulting in a missed class with some modules we are not attending at all but we are being given all years of the lecture and now the pressure is a lot because the lectures are starting to take the online classes very serious it's really frustrating as days go by i'm losing hope and giving up with no counseling as Especially for us first year students, it's really affecting me academically and emotionally. Uh, the process of uh, online learning for me is like a uh, co shop. My Nashwiti in a tech young Pisces, sometimes you have any information sitting in your character. Then, yeah, as for support, yeah, Nashwiti supporting each other, but not. As much as doing it on a corner amongst the campus. So, yeah, like I didn't know a young cow taking over my Zintozan as EBD week. So, no, no, must the campus is fun and I'm to a student. So, yeah, that's Online learning or a form of blended learning seems to be the way forward as South Africa and the rest of the world continue to fight the COVID 19 pandemic. We'll now speak to Professor Roxana Osson, the Deputy Vice-Chancellor at Wits University, on her take on the pandemic's impact to the quality of learning. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. I'd like to start off by first asking, how has the coronavirus affected Wits University's academic programs? Um, hello, Ayanda. Thank you for having me on your show. I mean, the, the, the virus has affected the world at a variety of levels, not just at the educational level, but we know that the economy and health and so on. And alongside this virus, there are so many other epidemics that we're dealing with if one thinks about gender-based violence and so on. So I think all universities have been affected by the, the virus. And what we've had to do is think about what is our core work and what is the contribution we want to make and how is it then that we respond to the virus. So it has affected us and uh, I think we've responded in a way uh, that has ensured that we keep our core work in mind. Keeping in mind that Wits University was one of the first institutions to adopt the online learning method way before Minister Blaine Zemande um, announced in a press conference that this would be the way, what challenges were faced by academics and students? So I think it, was, it wasn't just Wits University, there were several other universities that were also adopting at the, at the same time. 
all universities have learning management systems and we have one too. And many of our courses were already on the learning management system. So for us, what that meant was that while the learning management system courses were used as additional, um, as additional resources, they became now the main resource. So it meant that the Center for Learning, Teaching and Development, CLTD, and um, faculty um, uh, teaching and learning committees and faculty uh, student support uh, committees and student support offices all had to come together. Um, and of course, the CCDU all had to come together to ensure that we are able to pivot um, the courses that would have normally been offered on a face-to-face -face basis or in-person basis to online. And the challenge was to do that in a short period of time, ensuring that the quality wasn't compromised and so on, and taking into account that students would no longer be coming into class, but would be studying from uh, home environments that are quite diverse and um, in, in a format that's different. Um, so it, I think from that point of view, we had to do it quick and fast, and that's why we call it emergency remote teaching. We're very mindful of the fact that this is not pure online teaching, but it's an emergency response to an emergency situation, which is the virus. From the university point of view, I think that those were the big things that affected us. I think from the student point of view, there needed to be an adjustment. I mean, some students have enjoyed it very much because um, they can operate and do what they're doing from their homes. The other students who had less than conducive home environments have found it difficult. And I think for those students, um, we found a way um, to bring them back uh, into residences to ensure that they could have good working conditions. But in all of this, we had to keep in mind government regulations, you know, lockdown level five, lockdown level four, and lockdown level three. Each of these levels required different government regulations that had to be met. So I think, of course, there were challenges for staff and for students because we had to do this in an emergency context and in a way that is an emergency. And you know, with medical emergencies, what do you do? You, you respond quick and fast. So you can't respond to everything, but you respond to the bulk of the things. In the university's response, as quick as it was, do you think online learning and the integrity of online learning will be affected? You know, I'm, I'm just uh, in the process now of looking at the outcomes from the June assessments. So I think in terms of the integrity, one's going to be able to look at that and see how a students performed relative to 2019, which was in person to 2020, which is online. So I think one will be able to assess the integrity and the quality and so on from that point of view. But what I, what I do want to suggest is sometimes people make a comparison, which is in some ways a false comparison to say, everything that you do in, in person must be replicated in an online format. And pedagogically, that's not the case. The online format has an, a new ways of putting the material together, new, you can think about new and alternate ways of assessing and so on. So I would say uh, quality and integrity are things we need to look at, but instead of only worrying about those um, issues, the, um, the online has presented wonderful opportunities for new forms of assessment, new thinking around what's the purpose of education? Why do we do what we do in the way that we do? Why do we assess in the way that we assess? Is assessment mostly about rote learning, giving back 
in a parrot form or is assessment about problem solving and students' abilities to be agile and so on. So I think it's opened up new opportunities. The issue about integrity and quality remains and those you have to keep your eye on. You can't just assume that when you're in an online format, then um, you, uh, the issues about quality and integrity go away. You have the same issues even in in-person education when students are coming to class in face-to-face. -face, even there, you need to worry about integrity and you need to worry about quality. It was also seen via many social media platforms that so many students were overwhelmed with the transition from face-to-face -face contact learning to then online learning, and many students opted to deregistering from their programs. With that said, do you think the 2020 academic year can be saved? And if so, how? I'm not sure that it's about saving the year because we're already in the year we're doing it. We finished the first semester of work, the results are in, and so on. I mean, I look at um, the deans and myself and the vice chancellor look at the analytics from the learning management system on a weekly basis just to see, are students logging in, are they submitting their work, etc. And on average, we have about 95% of students who are logging in. And the ones that are not logging in, faculties are phoning on an individual basis to find out What's the reason for not logging in? What are the difficulties that you're having, et cetera, and so on. So I think the academic year is ongoing. We've already finished semester one, and we will finish semester two along the lines that we've done semester one, but also learning from semester one to say what worked, for whom did it work, how did it work, how can we strengthen it? So we, we got the experience of semester one, and we also will have the results from semester one. And we will take all of this data and make sure that semester two um, uh, shows that we've learned from semester one. But from our point of view, the year is ongoing. We finished the semester and we'll continue with the next semester. Of course, there are changes in the academic calendar and so on. Um, those are unavoidable. Right. And hopefully, um, because that is what the lockdown and all these regulations that have been introduced are for, that COVID-19 is hopefully eradicated, if not controlled to some extent. What mm. will education look like at the high institution level post the COVID-19 pandemic? So, you know, I know many people are not even talking about post-COVID. They, they're talking about as if we're living with COVID and will live with COVID for a while, which means that there will be different kinds of uh, a halt and a start uh, to uh, academic work. So I think one of the good things about the COVID is what institutions were only going to do in two or three or four years time has been accelerated. And in some ways we've been kicked into the future with regard to online learning and so on. So I think the future looks very flexible. It looks like greater opportunities and more resilience on the part of institutions to be able to respond to complex contexts. There will be many other kinds of disruptions if one thinks about climate change and so on. I mean, the, there are natural disasters that can affect education. And so the COVID has given us an opportunity to plan for this kind of agility and resilience. Thank you so much for your input, Professor Oksana. There's definitely some enlightenment there, different ways to see different things. Thank you so much. Ayanda, thank you for having me. And actually, it's a very um, thoughtful questions you've come up with because these are all issues we're going to confront in the educational sector. So thank you for having me. That was Professor Osman. 
Kamukhelo Matoso, a lecturer at AFTA, a private institution of higher learning with campuses in Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban, says there are modules you simply cannot take online. The experience has been quite an overwhelming one, to say the least. I think moving from an institution that has facilities and resources where students from all different types of backgrounds and all different walks of life meet, you are aware that people come from different backgrounds, right? And you're aware that people come from different circumstances. But once everyone is home and is forced to be home, you start understanding that most students actually don't have the resources that other students have. A number of students work from campus to do their assignments to do their work and when they're home there's been a great amount of lack of resources. Our um, curriculum is very interactive. It's collaborative learning, students working together to shoot, to produce, to create artistic work. One thing I can tell you is that we've realized that it's possible to learn virtually. COVID-19 showed us that we're moving faster in that direction and comfortably so than we would have anticipated. It is something that is actually possible. I think it definitely has compromised the standard in which we are delivering assessments. So we've actually been very considerate in terms of how we have delivered the content and how we're marking the content as well. You wouldn't have marked in that way if it was in a real life setup. So it does compromise the standard in which now we are approaching our work even because we have to be considerate of the fact that not everyone was allocated at the same time. Not everyone had the same privileges. Not everyone understood across the work the same way. I think the long-term effects of this would be students expecting that even when we go back into the real world, right? Students knowing that there was a type of consideration that was implemented and that was practiced during long distance learning. And I'm also scared about just the pattern of work being compromised as well and students not putting in the same amount of work when we do. Should we ever? I mean, who knows when we're going to go back to normal. But what I think is going to be the long-term issue here is how students approach the work. Already they struggle to adapt to get into the virtual world. When we have to go back into the real world, there's going to be this disconnect in terms of their work ethic, the quality of the work that they produce, the way that they interact. So it's going to compromise the way that they deliver their work and they Therefore, it's going to compromise the way that their work is received. It would be interesting to see the world even when COVID is gone. It would still be lovely to have that contact learning as there's so much power in understanding things in the physical through using your actual senses, despite just your hearing and your seeing. But the touching of a camera, the touching of props on set and things on stage and interacting with each other as a crew and as a team, I think would be so detrimental to students who get into now an era of contactless learning. They would be missing out on a great part of education that we were privileged to have. But it would be interesting to see if we actually maybe even collaborate the virtual and the contact. I fear the shattering so many dreams and so many opportunities, even in terms of scholarships. I know so many companies have just decreased funding in their CSI. And my biggest fear is just students not being passionate about going to school and opportunities not being given for them to continue with their studies or to even go to school. In a recent interview with Professor Ahmed Bawam, he was asked how tertiary institutions that couldn't assist their students due to resource constraints would cope during this time. And this was his response. Actually, there are four issues, you know, that really uh, make it difficult for us to embark on a full-scale sort of online e-learning or whatever we want to call it. Um, uh, so, So one of them is clearly the issue of devices. 
And that's almost an intractable problem at this point, unless there's some major investment from government. And uh, the issue of data is, um, is also being uh, seen to... Uh, we have a, uh, a ministerial task team that's looking at the data issue, which involves both the Department of Higher Education Training and the uh, Department of Communications. Uh, and, and, they also, and they also, there's some progress being made uh, with the telcos and so on. But there's a third issue, and the third issue is just the fact that uh, we have students even if they have data and devices, uh, maybe living in areas where there isn't coverage, right? So that's an issue. And then the fourth issue, of course, is just the issue around whether whether students have kind of the the environment at home, like that will allow them to study. You know, just whether they uh, there are spaces that they can uh, that they can uh, use for studying, and whether the whether the environment is conducive to learning and so on. So it is a it is a very difficult problem. And uh, of course, the danger we face is uh, is this exactly this challenge of trying to understand uh, how not to uh, exacerbate the inequalities in our society. You've now heard from Professor Bauer. Again, to balance out these thoughts, here are a few opinions from the students themselves and their experiences of learning during the pandemic. I'm a student from Spagomagato Health Sciences University and speaking on how COVID-19 has affected my studies is that for one, ever since we learned about the outbreak of COVID-19 in South Africa, my studies have been put on a hold. It's been four months now without any form of online learning or teaching from my university. And management is reasoning that with the fact that it's trying to acquire laptops for learners to ensure that no one is left behind. Uh, that might be very really understandable, but then at the same time, it's frustrating when you look at how far the year has gone by and nothing is actually happening, you know, in terms of academics. You you, you try to self-study, but then you're not encouraged because you study, you study, there's no test, there's nothing. You, you're just studying for the sake of studying, you know. And you look at your fellow peers, they're, they they actually doing online learning, they're carrying on with the academics and everything seems okay. But then when you look at my position and I look at my my own position, I I I just kind of feel lost and I'm not actually confident about myself anymore. I keep asking myself, am I really going to repeat first year again? Am I am I really going to cope with online learning the moment it, it commences? You just feel like Nothing is actually adding up. And to be honest, COVID-19 has actually made me hopeless. And it stripped me away from my confidence, actually. We've heard from a plethora of voices in the education sector on their experiences of learning during a global pandemic. And there's clearly no single approach to the challenges faced by students and lecturers alike. But that brings us to the end of today's episode. Let's meet again next time as we continue to see and explore if the 2020 academic year can be saved. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or stream by www.vafm.co.za.